Tackle Life podcast, a national championship game night edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. Looking forward to Gonzaga and Baylor tonight. Man, that should be a phenomenal game. If you, the uh, Gonzaga-UCLA game is any hint of what's to come and the uh, promise of two number one seeds meeting, the top two teams in college basketball all-season meeting. So we'll go through what happened Saturday at the Final Four and we'll talk about that Gonzaga-UCLA game, which was utterly amazing. A big weekend for the Ohio State baseball team. We'll touch on that. And the Justin Fields controversy, which I intended to get to last week and did not, uh, I'll explain that one to you. And then we'll talk about uh, Easter, as this is the day after Easter, and the message of Easter resonates even after Easter Sunday passes on the calendar. So let's start the podcast with somebody that I want to mention to you that's given me great relief. I got this thing going on in my back where I've got a nerve in my back that's that's acting up. And uh, when Chris was a part of the podcast, uh, we talked about the Spielman CBD brand and the uh, H and the and the CBD Health Collection brand. And so I want to thank uh, Rick at CBD Health Collection who heard about my back issue and um, replenished some of my CBD. And I've been using CBD Health Collection warming salve on my back, and it's really doing the job. And I've got a recommendation from a friend whose father had a shoulder issue, and he's using it. So if you use the promo code uh, BRUCE at CBDHealthCollection.com, you'll get 15% off any CBD products that they have. They have them to help you sleep better. Uh, they, if you don't want to have a salve or a lotion or a freeze gel to put on uh, your injury, uh, they have uh, gummies, they have uh, caplets, they have everything there in many forms to get that CBD that uh, reduces your inflammation and your pain, or at least it does mine, into your body. So CBDHealthCollection.com, and they're coming out with a new line uh, which has higher amounts of CBD in it, which not everybody needs because uh, this is made for your uh, high-end bodybuilders, people who are really tearing their muscle fibers on a training basis to get them healed, but they have many, many different products and their website's super informative. So it CBD works, man. And theirs works. Other CBD might be junk because it's taken out in the wrong way, but cbdhealthcollection.com, cbdhealthcollection.com. Use the promo code Bruce, get 15% off. Okay. Let's get to the uh, final four. I love college basketball. I covered 19 final fours. It was the most fun assignment of my newspaper career. I was just a geek uh, for Final Fours. I love the challenge of writing the Final Four. Uh, I love being exposed to the great minds of college basketball at the Final Four, watching transcendent performances at the Final Four like Danny Manning and Glenn Rice and Carmelo Anthony and just on and on and on and on. I mean, the Final Four was just my Nirvana event. I looked forward to it every year. And uh, this year's obviously is weird because it's in Indianapolis and everybody's wearing masks and, you know, every press conference is on Zoom. But anyway, we got great basketball. Saturday night, Gonzaga, UCLA. The first game, Baylor just was too much for Houston. Houston was lucky to get out of the first or second round. Uh, they're a really good team. They're a scrappy team. They're a little pretty much Cincinnati-like. I think the problem is when you're in the America Athletic it's hard to get like super gifted offensive players. And Kelvin Sampson is a defensive coach and he does a really nice job coaching defense. But Houston under Kelvin Sampson has always been a defensive oriented team and a team that's kind of offensively challenged. They scrap, they get a ton of offensive rebounds, but they couldn't hang with a team like Baylor when Baylor's shooting threes well. 
Baylor was shooting threes very well on Saturday, which is kind of one of the first times in a tournament they've shot it well. So you got to see the full spectrum of what Baylor can be and the mismatch between Baylor and Houston. So I don't know if Baylor's going to shoot threes like that tonight. I mean, if they do, then wow, uh, they could take Gonzaga down. Baylor has so many different athletes. They'll be able, I think, to deal with Gonzaga's defense, unless they don't make shots, um, and they'll be able to D up Gonzaga, but it's going to be hard to D them up any better than UCLA did. UCLA played really well. Mick Cronin teaches defense because, of course, he came from Cincinnati, which is in the same conference as Houston. So, uh, wow, that UCLA-Gonzaga game, I've watched it twice. It was such a great game. You very rarely get a game that's an, a monster game every minute throughout the game. This was that game. This was Ohio State-Michigan. It's a better game because it went to overtime, so you got five more minutes of action. It's a better game because it ended on a shot that will live forever in NCAA tournament lore. But Ohio State-Michigan first meeting, which ended wrong, was that kind of game, high end, lots of offense. It's hard for me to think a game is a great game if it's in the 60s. If a game's in the 80s or 90s, both teams are making shots, and that's the essence of basketball is to put the ball in the basket. So it's hard for me to watch a game in the 60s and go, oh, that was a great game. Now I know Villanova-Georgetown was that kind of a game. It was a great game. They both made shots, but they also missed a um, – they didn't miss a lot of shots. They just didn't take a lot of shots. It was, uh, you know, pre-shot clock era. So I think. So anyway, um, wow. Uh, Johnny Juzang, let me go through UCLA first. Johnny Juzang, that dude was, I was talking to my brother yesterday, that dude, you don't always get an NCAA tournament where one player just carries his team. I just mentioned two guys who did, Danny Manning and Car and uh, Glenn Rice. Uh, to a lesser extent, Carmelo Anthony, because uh, Jerry McNamara was pretty special in that tournament for Syracuse too. But Juzang was Glenn Rice and Danny Manning-like. More Rice because Juzang's a perimeter player like Rice. Just every time Johnny Juzang shot the ball, you thought, well, that can't go in because that's a really tough shot. And most of the time it did go in. And when he's wide open, you think, well, there's no way he's missing that. And he didn't. So what a play by Johnny Juzang to get his own rebound at the end of overtime, three seconds to go in the overtime. And put it back up and tie the game. Now, at the end of regulation, Johnny Juzang had the ball 13 seconds to go. And I thought, Gonzaga's done. They're done. They're toast. And I think if you ask Mark Few or any player on Gonzaga, in their heart of hearts, when Juzang has the ball in a tie game with 13 seconds to go and he's bringing it down, I think they thought, this sucker's over. That's a Jimmy Chitwood moment, right? Because I didn't think he was going to miss. He took it in one dribble too far. Like, if he pulls up when he beats his defender and splits another defender and gets to the corner of the free throw lane, if he just jump stops, goes up and shoots it, I think we're talking about a UCLA-Baylor final. He didn't. He tried to get it all the way to the basket. Drew Timmy took the charge, and that was a charge. And kudos to the ref for calling it. I wish the idiot ref and the, well, I wish the 
ref who missed the call in the Ohio State <laughs> or Roberts game who called a foul on Musa Jallo that wasn't a foul, principle of verticality. I wish that ref, I'm glad that ref wasn't on that call because he would have given the call to Juzang, and Juzang didn't deserve that call. It was a foul on him. Drew Timmy, wow, we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, so then they go to overtime, and UCLA just shows tremendous character coming back from five down. Uh, Gonzaga got a big three from the kid who transferred from Florida. I thought, well, that's the game. Nope. Uh, Yaquez, or whatever his name is for UCLA, he hits a big three, and they tie it. Just, wow, what a game. I mean, what a game. Riley for UCLA was great. Uh, Tiger Campbell for UCLA was great. Um. They were, I was just a, man, that was high level. Chris Holtman, high level. He always uses the words high level. He would say that was high level. It was high level. Um, Okay, so three seconds to go. The presence of mind of, why can't I think of the kid's name? The the senior from Gonzaga, uh, Corey Kespert. Kespert. The presence of mind of Kespert to throw it to Suggs. Because when you look at Kespert out of bounds, there's another Gonzaga guy right there who he could have thrown the ball into. But that guy was facing Kespert and would not have been able to turn and get the momentum that Suggs had to get up the court. So to look for Suggs in that situation, amazing. Suggs is looking right at the clock. He knows how much time he has. He goes across half court. He rises up. He launches. He didn't intend to bank it, but... Skip Bayless has said, you can't call that one of the greatest games of all time because it ended on a lucky shot. Okay. The Bruce Hooley rule, two things can be true at once. Was it a lucky shot? Sure, it was a lucky shot. He's probably going to shoot what on that? What percentage? If he shoots 100 of those, maybe 15%. So is it a lucky shot? Yeah, it's a lucky shot. He didn't intend to bank it. He banked it. It's a lucky shot. Is it a great game? Yes, it is. It's a phenomenal game. It's like two things can be true at once. Skip was a lucky shot. Still a great game. I would argue it's a great game because it ended on a lucky shot. I mean, wow, what a shot that was. Uh, Is that the greatest shot in NCAA tournament history? The Bryce Drew shot was pretty amazing, but that was a first-round game. The Chris Jenkins shot for Nova was a great shot wins the national championship, but wasn't as tough a shot. Uh, Because Gonzaga's an undefeated team, striving to be undefeated, and if they lose the game, which they would have just gone to double overtime, Suggs didn't hit the shot. I'm going to say better than Keith Smart. Of course, I'm not going to give Indiana any credit. Better than Michael Jordan against Georgetown. Yeah, because Georgetown had a chance to come down and tie it. To walk off, first of all, you you could argue for there to be a greater shot, it would have to be a walk-off. Okay, so Jenkins was a walk-off. Ah, Jenkins wins a national title. I'm going to say Jenkins shot. I'm trying to remember, was that a, was Nova down? I don't think Nova was down. I think Carolina had just tied it. Yeah, I'm going to say Jenkins shot number one and uh, Sugg shot number two. But you could argue all day about it. We can do an entire podcast on that. Why? What a great game. What a super game. I felt bad for Mick Cronin. And during the game, you know, I never really, sometimes I don't have a rooting interest in a game. I'm just watching the game. So Saturday night when I'm watching the game, 
I'm kind of rooting for UCLA because I'm like, wow, Mick Cronin, what a great job he's done. And then as I thought about it, I thought, what are you, crazy? Like UCLA's won a bazillion championships and cheated to win every one of them. Wooden cheated with Sam Gilbert paying all his players. Herrick cheated paying the O'Bannon brothers. I don't know who the, the money man was, but they were paying the O'Bannon brothers. and Probably Tyus Edney too. So no, I wasn't rooting for UCLA. I rooted for Gonzaga, and I was like, well, here comes the Hooli Jinx. Gonzaga's going to lose. But they didn't lose, and now they play Baylor. And I would pick, my daughter asked me, she's like, because she's got a bracket thing going, and she needs Gonzaga to win her bracket. If Baylor wins, another uh, young person wins. Um, not you, Brenton. I don't think it's you, Brenton, or my daughter would have said, I got to shout out Brenton again, because my daughter said Brenton was very appreciative of the shout out on the podcast. And, um, and that's cool. I love making people's day. So thank you, Brenton, for being a loyal listener to the podcast. Email me if you want me to shout somebody out on the podcast. If you're a listener, I'll shout you out. We tackle life at gmail.com. So my daughter asked me, thinking Zago win. And I said, originally I said no, because I think that game took so much out of them. But if you believe in destiny, which I do, I believe sometimes teams just have destiny on their side. That's a game they should have lost, and they didn't. And so maybe they're a team of destiny. And I don't think Baylor can make shots like it made the other night. Now, I'll say this. I don't think Gonzaga can make shots like it made the other night. I don't think Suggs is that great of a three-point shooter. I don't think Ayayi is going to shoot almost perfect from the field. Baylor... Uh, they got the ch- they got an ability to defend you. Drew Timmy, wow, is Drew Timmy good, man? Drew Timmy in overtime just took it over at the beginning. Drew Timmy is so good with his body. Can he do that in the NBA? Can he get those nifty baskets around the basket in the NBA? Or is Drew Timmy, which you know, kind of Adam Morrison was this kind of a player, not that kind of a player, but Adam Morrison is this kind of a phenomenon. Great in college, couldn't play a lick in the NBA. Will that be Drew Timmy? I don't know. I don't know. But I wouldn't be positive Timmy is going to be an NBA, a really good NBA player. But I wouldn't be against the idea either because he's just so smart out there. And he plays an old style of basketball, which I love to watch. As for Jalen Suggs, I mean, how amazing. You know, a lot of people say, well, he's Mr. Basketball in Minnesota and he's Mr. Football in Minnesota. Who really comes out of Minnesota? Let me tell you something. Minnesota's got great basketball, high school basketball. Now, they don't have great football because a lot of those guys play hockey. Say hockey's a winter sport, Bruce. It is, but hockey's a year-round sport. So that might detract from – hockey really doesn't detract from basketball much because it's a different athletic skill set in hockey. And hockey, well, you could argue hockey. Glenn Mason always said Minnesota was the hardest place to play to recruit in in, co- in college, of course he would say that, he was Minnesota's head coach, because hockey in high school is a huge deal. But hockey players, now that I think about it, Mace, are little tiny guys. They're not really football players. So I don't know if he's right on that, but um, Jalen Suggs was Mr. Football and Mr. Basketball in Minnesota, and I've watched video of him playing football, and Jalen Suggs looks to me like he could be a big-time quarterback in, in elite-level college football. So he chose basketball, which, you know, his body will thank him for it when he's 50 years old. Um, But wow, is that kid a special player. He's a special, special player. Um, And so this will be a great game to watch tonight. I love Davion Mitchell from Baylor. He's the fastest guy with the ball I've ever seen. Macy Oteague, 
from Baylor is a really good player. Uh, Vital is a really good defensive player. Bomba's a good defensive player. So they got they got dudes, man. This is going to be a game full of dudes, and uh, it was going to be fun to watch it. Um, uh, they got dudes at Will Spangler Starling too. Stan Willis will laugh at that when I say, "Stan, I called you a dude on the podcast the other day." But when when it comes to a, being an attorney, Will Spangler Starling has dudes. They can do your workers' comp, your employment law, your wills, estate planning, your probate, uh, your personal injury. They do all the biggies in law, and they're awesome people, great people. Look them up online. Mark it now in your mind. When I need an attorney, I'm going to use the attorney Bruce uses, Willis Spangler Starling. WillisAttorneys.com. WillisAttorneys.com. Truman Boulevard and Hilliard. I dropped off a little gift the other day to thank them for their support of the podcast and my radio show at 98.9 The Answer. So they're great people. You'll love them. If you want your attorney to give you no concerns about integrity and character, but still be an absolute fighter for the right and top of the profession. You want Willis Spangler Starling. Why would you want an attorney of any other sort, by the way? Willis Spangler Starling. Okay, let's touch on where that game UCLA Gonzaga ranks all time as a game in NCAA basketball. I think the Louisville-Houston game in 1983 is among the greatest games in uh, in Final Four history. I'm not going to include that on my list because I'm going to only include the games that I personally witnessed, okay? Here's a game nobody talks about, is 1988 semifinal, Oklahoma-Kansas. Danny Manning and the Miracles beating Oklahoma in the national semifinals to go to the top. No, that was the championship game. That was the championship game. Yeah, that was the championship game. Okay, so that was a a game people forget. 50-50 to at halftime. An amazing game. I still have no idea how Kansas won that game. Well, yeah, I do. Danny Manning. But Oklahoma was loaded. Stacey King, Mookie Blaylock, uh, they were loaded. And Billy Tubbs was kind of a Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson kind of a guy, the way he talked. And um, saw a little Billy Tubbs cutout in the crowd the other day at the uh, Final Four in Indy. So Nova, not Nova, uh, Nova, North Carolina, I didn't cover. So I can't count that one. Uh, I would say Xavier, Ohio State, Ron Lewis hitting the shot to send it to overtime and then Mike Conley taking the game over. Ohio State, Tennessee, Buckeyes coming back from 16 down at the half. Were great games. People don't think of those games. Um, I think that UCLA-Gonzaga game is would be right there at the best game I've ever seen. It was that good of a game. It was, like I said, it was high level from minute one to minute 45. So super, super game. And I did think Mick Cronin captured it afterward. He goes, what else could I ask my guys to do? I couldn't ask them to do any more. They played great. UCLA is an odd team in that they walk it up, score 90 points. (laughs) That's high efficiency offense, man. They just made every shot they had to make. Every time you thought, wow, they're out of it. It got down seven twice, and Gonzaga had the ball. And and Ayayi had a little floater in the lane, and he missed it. I thought if that went to nine, it was over. I thought it was a horrible hook-and-hold call. I hate the hook-and-hold call. Have I mentioned that 50 times? I hate the hook-and-hold call. It's way too punitive. You should not get two shots in the ball. And half the time, each guy's at fault. Okay, I've covered that. Old ground, sorry. All right. Uh, so Gonzaga UCLA, yes, I would say it is the greatest college basketball game that I've ever seen. 
better than Villanova Georgetown because way more scoring, and I like scoring, and the object of the game is to score. Okay, although that game Villanova Georgetown was sweet because Georgetown lost, and I love that. Um, all right, so now we go to the Justin Fields controversy. Let me slide in uh, my reminder that Hemisphere Coffee Roasters coffee is awesome coffee. I happened across an old video today of Spiels and I joking around where it was just classic Spiels. He was so funny. Um, we were joking around about coffee, and he said, I've been waiting for new coffee for weeks, and it was like two days before he asked me to get a coffee. So I miss Spiels' uh, impromptu and hilarious <laughs> endorsements of Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee, but he said he told a little story where there was one Hemisphere K-Cup left before I replenished his supply due to the generosity of Grace and Paul and Andy at Hemisphere, and he said I I put it in the uh, Keurig for his wife, Carrie, and he said how he was taking one for the team, beating, uh, buying and drinking, or, or not buying, but, but drinking inferior store-bought coffee that was left over before they discovered Hemisphere. So if you haven't discovered Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee, you're missing it. It's coffee from around the world, and it's a great mission. You can go to their website and read about their mission, which is to help um, growers in impoverished countries plug more money into their local economy. They also do a lot of great ministry things in their local economies. In Thailand, they've saved 70 women from human trafficking by employing those women on their coffee farm. So really an awesome ministry, and you'll get 15% off when you use the promo code we tackle life in all caps, we tackle life in all caps. All right, I'm late getting to the party on this one, uh, the Justin Fields-Dan Orlovsky controversy, all right? So um, Dan Orlovsky goes on, I think it was Pat McAfee's radio show, and he says, you know, look, I've been talking to some people in the NFL, and they say that Justin Fields doesn't have a good work ethic, and that's their question about Justin Fields. Okay, so Dan Orlovsky, you know, Dan, Dan, don't go in a lion's cage without a whip and a chair. You knock Justin Fields, guess what? You're going to hear from Ohio State coaches, Ohio State fans, and Ohio State graduates in the media. Herbie blew up Dan Orlovsky. And I, you know, Herbie's point was valid. It's like you can't just put this out there, man. You got to try to balance it. So Orlovsky then comes back with what was a really, mm, it was a lame apology. It really was a lame apology. And here's why I say it was a lame apology. Because he said, well, you know, so I talked to a coach at Ohio State and I talked to another coach at Ohio State and they say great things about Justin Fields. All right. This is the same story, folks. The people who blew up Justin Fields blew up Justin Fields because they want Justin Fields to fall in the draft, not because they don't like Justin Fields. They blew Justin Fields up in their interview with Dan Orlovsky to put misinformation about Justin Fields out there. So what? So, so Justin Fields would drop in the draft and they could draft Justin Fields. Okay? This happens all the time. There's a reason why they call the draft the silly season. And people like Dan Orlovsky, who's a former athlete, and he really, I think Dan Orlovsky does a fine job on uh, his analysis of football. I just think that Dan Orlovsky was not super, and now he will be, he was not super aware that he's being used, uh, which you got to be aware when you're being used. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't use the information that you're given, but it means that you, you present it in a way that is more 
accurate to why you might be getting this information. I hear from some scouts, this is what he should have said. I hear from some scouts that Justin Fields has a poor work ethic. But if he had called Herbie, hey, what do you hear? Like, you're an Ohio State guy. You're around Ohio State. You've done big Ohio State games. Does Fields have a poor work ethic? And Herbie would have said, well, Dan, like, he's the guy that pretty much led the campaign to get college football played in the Big Ten. So you can't say he doesn't have a good work ethic because he loves college football and he wanted to play. He could have sat out. His draft position would have been fine. He came back from bruised ribs in the Clemson game. He threw six touchdown passes. I mean, if you're going to question Justin Fields' work ethic and toughness, you got to talk to some people who don't have an agenda to run down his work ethic and toughness. But then to talk to Ohio State coaches and to have them cancel out what you've heard from other scouts about Justin Fields is also lazy because when have you ever known a coach to ever run down one of his own players ahead of the NFL draft? Now, if you're a really savvy uh, college football fan, you'll say, hey, Bruce, I got an example. Pete Carroll with Mark Sanchez. Now, he didn't run him down ahead of the draft. Carroll just stopped talking about Mark Sanchez after at Sanchez exit press conference saying that, you know, I kind of think Mark's taking a chance because he's only started one year, and, you know, I really like to see a guy, I think he'd be better off, better prepared for the NFL if he came back and played another year. And Pete Carroll was right. That's as close as I can remember a coach saying, mm. now privately they might blow him up, but publicly they're not going to blow him up. So for two Ohio State coaches to say, oh, no, Justin Fields has tremendous work ethic. Justin Fields is this. First of all, I think that's accurate. I think that's accurate. I, I've never, I mean, did Justin Fields' performance suggest that he doesn't have a good work ethic, that he doesn't love college football? I've questioned whether his personality is a dominant enough, commanding enough personality based only on what I saw is what I said. I don't get a true picture of his personality because I'm not around him when he's privately around his players. I know when he, when the players are around him, he looks to me like he's got them right here. Whether that's because they're college players and he's a college player and there's like a kind of a college lightheartedness to what they do and the things that he used or the ways that he led Ohio State, like, you know, being willing to play along, get up in front of the room, dance, act crazy. Will that resonate with a veteran who's 30 years old on his final NFL contract? I don't know. It might. Will Justin Fields have other weapons in his arsenal to lead in NFL football? Sure, he might. So I, when I say that I have a, a question, not a doubt, but a question about Justin Fields' ability as a leader of an NFL franchise, face of a franchise. Is he comfortable in the spotlight? He's a quiet young man, but he's a driven young man. You don't just come to Ohio State and be away from your family and deal with all the loneliness and stuff. It's easy to go to Georgia from when you're from Georgia because you got your high school friends three hours away, two hours away, one hour away. Come to Ohio State, you're kind of on an island. Doesn't that show maturity? Sure it does. Doesn't that show confidence? Sure it does. So I just think there's a lot of nuance and context and levels to the Justin Fields story that Dan Orlovsky didn't take the time to think through fully. And he's entitled to make a mistake. Everybody's entitled to make a mistake. So I just didn't feel like he researched it on the front end very well and balanced it on the front end very well. And I didn't feel like he researched it or balanced it on the back end very well. Um, so I don't know how much direction 
a guy like Dan Orlovsky's getting from ESPN people. I wonder how much direction anybody at ESPN is getting because we got this situation now where wacky Keith Olbermann, who is, uh, you know, I think I'm safe in saying Keith Olbermann is an extremely left-wing Democrat, uh, ripping on Major League Baseball for, uh, well, I don't know, he's ripping on, yeah, he's ripping on Major League Baseball for the All-Star game being in Atlanta, which it's not in Atlanta anymore. And he's ripping on the voting rights bill and or the voting bill in Georgia and all this kind of stuff, which, you know, we can get into that some other time. Or if you want to hear me talk about that, we can talk about it on my show on 98.9 The Answer. But Oberman went on this unhinged rant, and and Matthew Barry, the anchor from ESPN, basically on Twitter, basically told him, you know, shut up, old man. And so I bring all that up because I'm like, who's running that asylum? Like, you don't want your own people committing ESPN on ESPN crime. How many times can Oberman be fired at ESPN for going off on a rant? Like, you know, whatever. So it's just... When I say I don't know how much direction Dan Orlovsky's getting, I tell the Oberman and Matthew Berry story because I don't know how much direction there is at ESPN anymore. They've uh, so they went woke. They got criticized for going woke. Then they went like nobody talks politics. Now they got some people back talking politics, and who knows what's going on there. So I just think you know the whole thing. Orlovsky can do better, and anything that's said about any prospect that's flattering, you better say to yourself. Eh, who said this and what's their agenda? That's the explanation on the criticism of Justin Fields. A reminder, auinfo.com with open enrollment still in vogue gives you the chance to take a health check of your health insurance. If you're a business owner and you want to put a benefits package together for your employees, you're allowed to do that anytime. And AUI can help you with health, life, vision, dental, disability, the whole array. If you're an individual person, and you uh, own your own business and you're like a plumber, lawyer, consultant, contractor, whatever, you can also change your health insurance anytime. AUI can help you with that. See what benefits you have. See what benefits you want. See what benefits you need. And if you're just an individual schmuck like Bruce Hooley and you want to check your health insurance that you're paying for, you're restricted to open enrollment periods. And we're in one right now because the president opened that up. So that's the deal with open enrollment and AUI info can help you and will help you. And it's a free service because the health insurance companies compensate them. Surprisingly enough, health insurance companies are always looking for more clients. And so that's why they're willing to help you with health insurance. Okay. In the faith portion of the podcast today, I wanted to talk a bit more about Easter in light of some things that were said on Easter and in light of a trend, a phenomenon going on right now in the churches of America, which I believe is extremely damaging to people because I believe it can hoodwink them into believing something that will result in them not being um, on the mission that God wants them to be on. There is a very... Uh, a frightening portion of scripture where Jesus talks about encountering people in the afterlife on judgment day, where people say, Lord, we fed the hungry in your name. We housed the homeless in your name. We healed the sick. We tended to the sick. 
and the disadvantaged in your name. We did it. We, we went to church and we went out and we, we, we staffed a food pantry and we did this and this and this. And we did it like to serve you. And Jesus says back to them, I never knew you. Whatever you were doing, the, the translation is, whatever you were doing means nothing to me because you didn't know me. You didn't understand me. You didn't understand my kingdom. Like when Jesus was talking with Pilate during his trial, quote unquote trial, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it is as you say, but my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. So I want to start this faith portion with a passage from Luke where it's the, it's the Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, and Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and he's entering triumphantly. It's called the triumphal triumphal entry. People are waving palm branches. Behold, you know, son of David who comes, you know, behold the king of the, uh, the Lord, you know, Hosanna, the Lord has come, all this stuff, the Savior, the Messiah. And it says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, this is Luke chapter 19, verse 41. So Jesus is coming up on Jerusalem before they throw their coats down on the ground, before their palm branches are waving. He approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept. He wept over it, and he said, If you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. So in another gospel, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. He's coming to Jerusalem, which was the center of the Jewish faith on Passover and the most holy holiday on the Jewish calendar. And he's coming and he knows he's going to be crucified. That's the mission of Easter. Jesus was the original man on a mission. He came to earth, fully God, fully man, but he knew when he he knew when he came, he was coming to die. He was coming to hang on a cross. Okay. So he's weeping over Jerusalem because he knows that these people have been what have they been doing for centuries? Waiting for the Messiah. They've been waiting for the Messiah. They've been looking for the Messiah. They've been searching for the Messiah. They've been praying for the Messiah. They've been hoping for the Messiah. They've been longing for the Messiah. And he's coming into Jerusalem and he's crying because he knows they're going to miss him. They're going to miss that he is the Messiah. They're going to miss it because they have in their heads this preconceived notion of what the Messiah is. He's a deliverer. He's a conqueror. He's going to draw us out of the oppression of the Romans. And he's going to like slay the Romans and we're going to have a kingdom on earth. And Jesus said, no, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not in this world. I'm not a military conqueror. I'm not an overcomer of oppressors. I am, but in a spiritual way. I'm going to free your heart. I'm going to free your heart of the sin that's in your heart. I'm going to free you of the, of the selfish attitudes you have. I'm going to free you of the bondage that you have to behaviors like pornography and uh, theft and sla- all the things I'm going to free you from in your heart. My relationship with you is a relationship with the inner being. God looks at the heart. Okay. So that's what Jesus wanted to do, and that's how what they were waiting for. And so when he turned out not to be that, they got really mad, and they crucified him. Okay, so 
you guys know that I start my day every day with uh, the corresponding chapter of Proverbs, right? The corresponding chapter of Proverbs to the date. So today is what? The the fifth? The sixth? So I read Proverbs 5 and 6 today. Okay. All right. So I'm trying to connect all these things in my mind, and I don't have an outline in front of me, so I excuse the the little uh, delay. So yesterday was Easter, and I said on Friday, Easter is the most transformative day in the history of humanity. The most transformative day in the history of humanity. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross. He died unjustly to provide a sacrifice for our sins so we can be forgiven. It's like Jesus had the salvation gift card, the eternal life gift card, and he gave it. He, he's holding it in his hand, right? He's holding the salvation gift card in his hand. And all you have to do is come along and take it. Now, when you take it, you take what you're doing in that transaction is you're saying, whoa, what a deal this is. I sin. I have wrong attitudes in my head. I have bad language. I have bad behavior. I'm selfish. I'm this, I'm that, which is not the way God tells me to live. It's not the way God wants me to live. He wants me to Manifest the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. How many people do that all the time? Mm, Not very many. Not this guy. Not the guy talking to you. So to take the gift card for salvation, you have to say, ah, Jesus, I can't be perfect and meet God's standard of holiness, but you did, and so I'm accepting your sacrifice on the cross as payment for my many sins, past, present, and future. It's a gift card that never runs out. If you put your faith in Christ and his sacrifice pays the penalty for your sins, it never runs out and you're saved. Now, how do I know the gift card's good? Because, you know, you could walk into Kroger and you could grab like 30 gift cards out of the uh, display and you could put it in your pocket and you could walk out and you could run over to Buffalo Wild Wings and you could run up a huge bill and you could plunk those gift cards down. And what would happen? What would happen? They would come back and they would go, I'm sorry, your gift card is not valid. Your gift card is not authenticated. Right? Because to authenticate the gift card at the checkout at Kroger, you got to do what? You got to pay for it. Right? Now, this is where people get confused with the Christian faith. They think feeding the poor. And, you know, helping the homeless and doing all this stuff is paying their sin debt. They think that's how they're paying for and authenticating the gift card. Mm-mm, wrong. Wrong. And that's how you end up on Judgment Day with Jesus saying, yeah, I saw you feeding the poor. I saw you housing the homeless. I saw you doing all that. I never knew you because you were doing all that stuff to earn your salvation and you can't you can't pay that debt you don't have enough money you don't have enough good you don't have enough charity to authenticate that gift card on your own the only way you can authenticate that gift card bruce and everybody listening and watching the only way you can authenticate that gift card is by understanding what that gift card is worth, the value of that gift card, and being so thankful that it's free to you 
that it changes your life, that it changes your behaviors, that it changes your attitudes. See, you pay for this, quote unquote. You don't earn it. You authenticate it. There's a difference, right? You authenticate this gift card of salvation by what? Changing your behavior, which is the definition of repentance. Jesus came not as a conqueror, not as a military leader, not as an earthly king. He came, he said, to set the captives free. I came to set the captives free. And all the Jews are like, awesome, because when we get these Roman dudes out of here, we'll stop paying taxes and we'll be ruling the world. And Jesus is like, no, I came to set the captives free. You're captive in your heart. You're captive to sinful attitudes, sinful language, sinful behavior. That's what you're captive to. You're enslaved to a depraved heart, a sinful heart, a selfish heart. And I can set you free of that because if you understand this gift of salvation that I'm giving you because of what I did, not because of what you did, and you're like, holy cow, I don't have to do, I don't have to do to earn, I just have to do to thank. Wow, what an awesome deal. Yeah, it is an awesome deal. Okay, so on Easter, and I'm not trying to be political here. I'm really not, I, but I can't give you this real-world yesterday example without referring to two political figures because they have a high profile and because they're indicative of going right up to the line. Well, one of them goes right up to the line. One of them goes right up to the line of what Easter really is, but he doesn't go, but he doesn't connect. He doesn't connect the authentic. He doesn't authenticate the gospel. And this is what's going on in so many of our churches in America. We're telling people, You've got to fight for this. You've got to conquer this. You've got to work for these people. You've got to do this. And if you do that, that's what God wants you to do. Uh-uh, uh-uh, wrong. That's, that's heretical. That's inaccurate. That's, that's satanic. It just is. Satan wants as many souls to perish forever in hell, which is where he'll wind up forever. He wants as much company as he can get. And he doesn't care if he gets you there by making you a serial killer or by making you somebody who goes to church every Sunday and sits in that pew and spends all their waking minutes and every breath working to earn salvation. Because he knows, I got you. I got you. So there was a message on Twitter yesterday from... Senator Raphael Warnock. Now, this is how insidious Satan is. Raphael Warnock is a pastor. He's also a senator. I'm not mentioning his political affiliation on purpose because his political affiliation isn't important. There are many people on both sides of the political aisle who are lost and who will spread false gospels out there. Many people. Okay, so your political affiliation doesn't matter. Doesn't one doesn't make you good and one doesn't make you bad. It's your individual understanding of the gospel or misunderstanding of the gospel. Raphael Warnock is a senator, and he tweeted yesterday: "The meaning of Easter 
is more transcendent than the resurrection. It's a commitment to helping others. Let me say this as firmly as I can, and I'd shout, I'd shout it if it wouldn't hurt your ears. No, 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 a bazillion times no. That tweet, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection because it means a commitment to help others. No, 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 no. God will lay on your heart what you need to do to follow him. He'll give you the individual gifts and talents and abilities and ministry field and people that he wants you to interact with and influence. But to let some other person, whether it's Joe Schmo down the street, your pastor, the head of a charity, a United States senator, a president of the United States, past, present, whatever, tell you, you have to do this to really understand what Easter is. Uh Uh-uh. No. Wrong. Blasphemy. And unfortunately, yesterday, our president did the same thing with his wife. And I think it's great that our president acknowledges Easter. But you can't do a half-baked acknowledgement of Easter. Easter is Jesus rising from the dead and calling us to that same new life. Jesus rising from the dead and having the stone rolled away and showing people that death has no hold over someone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. That is the message of Easter. You can't go right up to the line and say, it's the most holy day, according to the Gospel of John, the traditions of Holy Week, we can move from sorrow to salvation, faith, hope, and love, Pope Francis says this, health, hope, joy, peace, the Lord bless you and keep you. Jesus Christ is the most divisive figure in human history. No doubt about it. People die, kill over the name of Jesus. Marginalize, victimize. Jesus Christ is the most divisive figure in human history. He is also the most, not because of anything he did, because people, why do people find the name of Jesus so offensive? Because Satan finds the name of Jesus so offensive. And why does Satan find the name of Jesus so offensive? Because he tempted Jesus in the desert and tried to win Jesus over to his side. Remember, Satan was an angel at one point in time, and he was a fallen angel. Why? Because of pride. Because he wanted to be God. That was the whole thing in the Garden of Eden. He told Eve and Adam, nah, you can eat from that tree. God just tells you it'll make you like God. That's why he doesn't want you to eat from that tree. Satan's Satan's a liar. And Satan knows that Jesus conquered death and offers salvation to sinful Bruce Hooley. Satan thought he had his clutches and his hooks irretrievably, irrevocably, eternally in Bruce Hooley. And for a long time he did. For a long time he did. Way too long. But he doesn't have them in me anymore because Jesus Christ did it all at the cross to redeem me of my sin and make me forgiven for my sin. And so the reason why uh, the name of Jesus is so divisive in our world is because Satan hates it, hates the name of Jesus. And he's trying to convince people of influence to say, ah, do good things, 
Holy Week, the Lord this, la, 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 la. Religious talk, religious framing, feel-good theology, help others. That's nice. That's Christian. Most Christian thing you can do is say, I'm a sinner and I can't do anything about it, but Jesus did everything that needs to be done at the cross. You want to be Christian? You want to do something Christian? Do that. Do that and let Jesus change your heart from the inside. God is perfectly holy. He's perfectly just. And people say, I don't understand how God could be mean and send people to hell, blah, blah, blah. So I told you I read Proverbs every day, and God is infinitely patient because he provided the death of his son on the cross to redeem you. So that tells you what value God puts on you, on you. He's willing to send his son to earth to suffer and die unjustly so God could hang out with you forever in heaven. That's how much God prioritizes you. People tell you you're not worth it. You're this, you're that, you've, uh, you've made this mistake, you've done that, God doesn't love you, nobody could love you, you're worthless. Mm-mm. Wrong. God sent his son to die for you on the cross, to redeem you, so he could hang with you forever, okay? But God's patience will eventually end, and there will be a day of reckoning for every single person in this world, whether you breathe your last here on earth or whether... Jesus returns to earth, and that ends everybody's opportunity to accept the free gift of salvation that he provided at the cross. And so I pound this emphasis so often because I do not want you to be in that crowd of people who hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Like, I, whatever you did, you did it to earn your salvation. You can't earn it. You're sorry, you know. I don't even know if he'll say sorry. He'll just say, no, you're not. I did it all. None of you, all of me. So there's a very chilling place in Proverbs, uh, verse one, ver- chapter 1, verse 7, where I've, I know I've stressed this verse before, but this capsulizes everything about the whole Judgment Day thing. The fear of the Lord, fear, respect, reverence, esteem, elevation, prioritization. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, beginning of knowledge. So you have to fear the Lord or you can't have knowledge. But fools, fools, fools despise wisdom and understanding. Okay, so you go through Proverbs, and in Proverbs 1.29, God has gone through what's going to happen to you Eventually, if you do not prioritize him, esteem him, extol him, elevate him, humble yourself under him, submit to him, you're not going to have knowledge. You're, not, you're going to be a fool. You're going to despise wisdom and you're going to hate knowledge. So God says here, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. That's at the end. That's 29. It's pretty close to the end. What's in the middle? What's in the middle, right? God starts out. He's like, here's where knowledge begins. Here's what fools do. They despise wisdom and discipline. And then he goes through, la, 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 la. This is, here's what's going to happen. And he lays out the consequences. And then he says, and the reason those consequences are present is because you hated knowledge and you did not choose to fear the Lord. So what are the consequences? I'm going to read them to you. 
And this is why I'm so passionate about people understanding fully the gospel and not being hoodwinked by Raphael Warnock and by feel-good, religious-sounding words that do not underscore, emphasize, and make clear the essential nature of accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is what God says happens to those who don't do that. Think back to Jesus going into Jerusalem. He wept over the city, right? His heart was broken. All these religious leaders, all these people, they're, they're longing for centuries for the Messiah. And here he is. He's coming into the city, but he knows they're not going to accept him. And he's weeping. He's aching in his heart for the mistake they're making because they're prioritizing religious things and deeds and earning. And this is God talking right here in Proverbs 1. If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you. God longs to have relationship with us. I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called, and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, this is the consequence. Since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, my correction, my my Bruce Hooley explaining it to you on the podcast, the, the opportunities you had to read the Bible, the opportunities you had to listen to messages on the air, all those are my rebuke. All those are my trying to bring you in, trying to say, hey, wake up. Don't listen to this garbage from Raphael Warnock. Don't listen to this feel-good theology words. I'm trying to tell you, hey, hey, don't get hoodwinked. Don't get, don't get hooked, as my friend Tony Rizzo used to say. Proverbs 1, 24, but since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I will in turn laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you like a storm. When disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. Lord, we did this in your name. We did this. We did that. We don't. I never knew you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but they will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Man, don't be in that group. Don't be in that group. Easter, the death of Jesus to provide atonement for our sins, the resurrection of Jesus, calling us to new life, accepting that gift for our sin, and then us understanding that we've been forgiven because of what he did, and then being so thankful that we just say, wow, a God who loved me enough to send his son to die for me says I should do this. He says I should live this way. He says I should radiate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the gifts of the Spirit, which you get the Holy Spirit to indwell you when you accept Christ as your Savior, to help you. One of the synonyms given for the Holy Spirit in Scripture is the helper. I'll send a helper, because in our own strength, do we feel like being People who reflect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control? No! 
No, I want that. Give me that. I want to be first. I want to. So it's all there. And Satan twists it. What's his, what's his synonym in Scripture? The father of lies. That's his thing. He lies. He tells people, oh, Easter's great, but the true meaning is doing this for others. It's advantaging this group of people. It's blah, blah, blah. No. 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 It is not. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. So that's my message to you on this Monday in April, the first Monday in April. And I'm um, very privileged that you would spend the time listening to this podcast. And I hope that it is encouraging to you and instructive to you and enlightening to you and inspiring to you. It's a privilege for me to have this time to be with you and to share uh, openly about what I am most passionate about. Um, I'll have more on this topic today on my radio show on 98.9 The Answer. Um, you can listen to it on the iHeartTuneInRadio.com apps. We have our own app, 989FM. The answer is what you search, 5 to 7 p.m. Check me out on your drive home if you're in. You don't have to be in the capital city because the radio app, tune in, iHeart, uh, radio.com. You can tune me in wherever you are across the country if you're watching this podcast. Please patronize our sponsors, CBDHealthCollection.com, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. You get 15% off at both those places using promo code Bruce or at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. We tackle life in all caps. Uh, auinfo.com will spangler starling uh, shout out to all of you send me an email we tackle life at gmail.com review the podcast on itunes let me know what you think about it and we'll be back uh with a hopefully a bafo national championship game to talk about on the next edition of the we tackle life podcast have a great day